everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week in our next segment. It's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Hallelujah! We have an NBA season. We'll talk about that. Talk about the key details of the new collective bargaining agreement. In segment three, our friend Sam Amick from SportsIllustrated.com. He's our NBA insider. He'll join us and further discuss the new NBA agreement. Then in segment four, it's Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12. A lot of innovative things done by Larry Scott this year with the conference. We'll catch up with him in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blogger. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. You can find all the links. Just go to the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. Coming up in a few weeks, the last two shows of the year, it's our top 20 sports business stories of the year. We'd love your ideas. Brian, B-R-I-A-N at sportsbusinessradio.com if you want to send us your top sports business stories of the year. Coming up next, it's headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. The lights are turned away down low. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, there will be NBA basketball. Griggs, best Black Friday deal ever. In the wee hours after Black Friday, Saturday morning, 3 a.m. Eastern Time, NBA has a press conference, Billy Hunter, David Stern, Adam Silver, Derek Fisher, and others, and they say they've got a handshake agreement. The NBA season will start on December 25th. It'll be a 66-game season, 48 conference games. There will be a two-game home-and-home preseason, and training camp starts December 9th. Also, 
business starts December 9th. So here's what's going to happen. Much like the NFL, where they had a short amount of time between training camp and the start of the season, you're going to have about six months of business that should have been conducted during the lockout conducted in about two weeks. So it's going to be a frenzy of free agent signings, trades, people filling out their rosters. You've got teams like the New Orleans Hornets who have six players under contract. They can't even play five on five in training camp. So it's going to be a pretty crazy uh, next week or two. Yeah, I was excited to see it. And then and Saturday morning when we woke up, my wife and I, she's a big uh, basketball fan, NBA fan. So we were just like high five. We're like, yes, the season's back. She's excited. And yeah, it's a great it's great news. It's it's good that it's done. I'm finally excited. We can get this game go- going. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about it big time. So at the end of the day, the players get 51.2% of the BRI. We remember everyone was talking about what's the final split going to be. Players get 51.2% in their best years. Look, the NBA is going to have their new TV contracts coming up in the next year or two. Um, They're going to have a lot of lucrative business. You expect the league that's a $4 billion a year league to continue to grow. Um, There's going to be revenue sharing with the owners. We don't know what that looks like yet, but that will be put in. The owners absolutely uh, won this hands down. So they get about $260 million a year back at the end of this deal over the next 10 years. Now, it's a 10-year deal, but the sides can opt out after six years. The other thing that's interesting here, Griggs, is there's the amnesty provision again, and that's gotten a lot of chatter in years past because Last time in 1998-99 that the amnesty provision was in, you had about 60 days to use it. This time around, you can use it on players that are currently under contract, and you can use it once a year. So you have to use the amnesty before the season starts, but you can use it on your worst contract. So uh, players that are expected to be amnestied, Gilbert Arenas in Orlando, Richard Lewis in Washington, possibly Brandon Roy in Portland— you still have to pay out the full amount of the contract to the player, but the money comes off the salary cap and teams that are paying luxury tax. So luxury tax, you're basically paying a dollar for every dollar you're over the cap. You're going to save a lot of money by getting rid of these contracts. Then the thing that's new, Griggs, is that instead of you know the Lakers, the Heat, the Bulls being able to swoop in and grab these pretty good players for next to nothing... The teams that have the most amount of cap space, those are the ones that will have the blind bidding first priority. And then anything that an amnestied player is paid by their new team gets deducted. So let's say you're Portland and you amnesty Brandon Roy. Brandon Roy is owed $63 million on his contract. If Brandon Roy gets picked up by, let's say, Golden State, where his old agent, Bob Myers, is the assistant general manager. If Golden State says, all right, Brandon Roy, we'll give you $15 million, then Paul Allen, the owner of the Blazers, gets to deduct that $15 million from the 63 he owes Brandon Roy. That's how that works. Yeah, I think it's an interesting twist because I think you are going to see some pretty good players go to some teams that need the help. So I think, uh, like you're saying with Brandon Roy, say if he goes to like a Golden State or some of those, one of those teams... They're getting a good player that still can go out there and ball pretty well at a good deal. So I think it's uh, I think you're going to see some of these good players get moved around the league, and I think it's good for fans because hey, you know some of these some of these teams that don't aren't used to having the big names come into their uh, town are going to have that. We'll have more NBA talk with Sam Amick, our NBA insider from SportsIllustrated.com, in our next segment. Our next headline: Syracuse, and I'm bringing this up because we were off last week for the best of sports business radio for Thanksgiving. 
they did officially fire Bernie Fine, their assistant coach of 36 years, the coach who has been linked to sexual abuse charges with former ball boys and others. And I got to tell you, Griggs, I mean, Penn State opened up the floodgates on all of this. Penn State, um, you know, we know what's going on there with Jerry Sandusky. He's got civil suits against him now. Then you see what's happening at Syracuse. You know, I went to high school in Phoenix. I got an email this week from the president of my high school saying that there was a teacher who was teaching when I was there and that two students came forward saying that this teacher had sexually abused them. And, you know, I don't want to go deep into this because it makes my stomach turn. But what's happening here is either people are emboldened by what happened at Penn State that, hey, you know what, I now have the courage to come forward and talk about my abuse. Or there's people out there for cash grabs. I don't know which one it is yet, but it's an interesting world that we live in right now. And, you know, it's sad to turn on the sports news and see that Penn State and Syracuse are dominating the headlines as much as anything that's going on on the field. On a good note, though, I think it is good because some of these people are getting the stuff that's lived in their life for so many years. Absolutely. Out and uh, getting it taken care of. So I think on that side of it, it's a good thing that this is the Penn State thing broke and now we're seeing other things come out because, you know, it's only going to help these people in the long run, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the healing process and I can't even imagine what these people have been through living with uh, this abuse for all these years. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Jim Beheim, still the coach at Syracuse. He spoke out this week, said the investigation is, you know, going forward. He says he didn't know this was going on on his watch. Obviously, Joe Paterno lost his job at Penn State. Could Jim Beheim, who's been, you know, an icon at Syracuse, eventually lose his job? We will soon find out. Our last headline of the week, did you see what Indomitian Sue did on Thanksgiving to the lineman of the Green Bay Packers? First, he slams his head in the turf three times. Then he stomps on him as he's walking away. And he got suspended two games this week. He gets fined. His fine is two paychecks, which amounts to $164,000, which isn't very much by Indomitian Sue standards. But a lot of people out there talking this week, is this tainting his image? Is he a dirty player? Nike and Omaha Steaks are companies that work with Indomitian Sue. Both came out in support of him this week, said they're going to continue their relationships with him. But, you know, if you're the NFL here, you got to lay down the law, which they did with the two-game suspension. If you're his teammates, you have to say, dude, that's not acceptable. We need you on our team. The Lions are a team fighting for a playoff spot. You can't have your best defensive player having a meltdown in the middle of the game like that, Greg. Yeah, and it's just so obvious. I mean, <laughs> that play was just like, I mean, he came back later and said, you know, I wasn't trying to blah, blah, blah. Well, it looked pretty obvious Well, to me. <laughs> here's the thing, and I talked about this on my show in Portland this week. I love when athletes get up at a press conference and they try and tell you what you saw. Well, I did this and I didn't do this. And look, there's 85 cameras at the game on Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) Everyone saw what you did. You don't need to tell me what you did or didn't do. I saw it. Everyone saw it. So take responsibility for it. Apologize, which he later did after being pretty defiant in his press conference after the game. And you move on. A few weeks ago, Indomitian Sue voluntarily wanted to meet with Commissioner Goodell. My guess is they had a meeting this week, and it wasn't voluntary. He was being called to the principal's office, and Goodell said, enough. Next time, it's going to be a much stiffer penalty. That's our headlines of the week. Coming up next, it's Sam Amick 
our NBA insider of SportsIllustrated.com. Lots to talk about with the NBA new agreement. How did this deal finally come together? What made the two sides say, all right, let's put our differences aside. Let's finally get something done. We'll discuss that with Sam Amick coming up. And then after that, it's Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back and it's a glorious day for NBA fans. The NBA lockout is over essentially. Some voting needs to take place, but uh, a deal is in place. Season set to start on December 25th. Camps and trading and business starts on December 9th. To discuss all of this is our own NBA insider, Sam Amick of SportsIllustrated.com and NBAConfidential.com. Sam, good morning. How are you? Good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, doesn't it feel better today to know that we're going to have some NBA basketball coming up soon? Without question. And, and now that I finally got some sleep after a pretty chaotic weekend, I'm feeling even better. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, you and I, listen, we've talked about this at every turn, and, and we both, I think, were fairly convinced that, you know, these guys might have been stupid enough to, to blow the, you know, the whole season up. And, and I'm, I'm definitely happy they didn't. So at the end of the day, I mean, this happened in the wee hours of the morning on Saturday. Why did both sides feel compelled to get the deal done now? Well, I think a lot of pressure from those Christmas Day games on the part of the league and the relationships with ESPN, ABC, TNT, and uh, I think that was a component. But obviously, that was you know there all along. Um, I don't know your read on things. I, I probably at this point walk away thinking that the disclaimer of interest route uh, did pay off in some respect and the threat of litigation uh, as far as the league and, and, you know, explaining why at the uh, the very end here they did move somewhat, you know, significantly on a number of key issues and, and moved enough to, to make this thing happen. Um, so I think those are, are two key things, uh, but uh, I think over time we'll probably have more clarity. 
The other thing, too, is, and I said this quietly, you know, David Stern, Adam Silver, Billy Hunter, they all pay attention to things. They saw Major League Baseball get their deal done quietly and efficiently before the deadline. I know they paid attention to that, and I think it made the NBA look really, really bad. Yeah, no, and I, that's the thing. We probably undersell the degree to which, you know, uh, guys like Stern and even Billy Hunter, you know, monitor the uh, their colleagues in the sports industry, and, and I would agree with that. And, and obviously going back further than that, the NFL and, and what went on with them, you know, sure they, they had a lot of the same uh, acrimony. You know, well, not the acrimony, but they had, you know, the, the lockout and things of that nature, but they got it done, and, uh, and then they have a, a phenomenal season going on. So I do think that, uh, you know, listen, the NBA and the players' side took a ton of hits in the last couple of months, and I think they were all warranted. I mean, the way they handled this thing was, was uh, you know, was, was below brow, but, uh, but they got it done. Let's talk about the landscape as it is proposed. December 25th, the season starts with the triple header. Uh, December 9th is when training camps begin and when free agency begins. I know we're on a short window here, but doesn't it seem a little odd that training camp and free agency are starting on the same day? I mean, there are some teams like Denver who are going to have six or seven guys under contract. You can't even play five on five. I know. I know. I'm with you on that. I, I'm kind of hoping that maybe they bend those rules a little bit, maybe let the, the agents and the teams talk, you know, maybe December 4th, something like that, and give them a window to, to at least get something done where, you know, maybe guys uh, have, a, you know, some idea of where they're going to be headed and, and then they can sneak, uh, you know, sneak that way for training camp. Because I agree. I mean, Denver, another team that comes to mind is New Orleans. They've got like five guys under contract. Uh, it's going to be, you know, chaotic and crazy. And, and uh, although I have been told, you know, and I don't remember, but this, that's the way that it was done. In 98, 99, you know, everything, you know, the dam kind of breaking and everything coming through at the same time. Yeah, you're basically trying to fit in several months of business into a one- to two-week period. Here I am in Portland. The Blazers don't have a GM. Have you heard anything about their GM search? Nothing, nothing. I'll probably, you know, poke around on that soon because I actually just spent the last day writing team previews for the magazine. And when I got to Portland, you know, that I was writing that very fact. And it's... It's unreal to think that they don't have a GM. It's uh, probably in the last, uh, you know, five, six years, never been a better time to have a GM. Um, so we'll see what happens there. That being said, I mean, you know, as you know, that doesn't mean they don't have, you know, good basketball people in place that are making decisions. You know, one guy who comes to mind is Bill Branch is in their front office. And, you know, they've got guys who are plotting moves and, and looking at how to form the team. But, uh, but obviously it looks like they, uh, they need to fill that spot. We're joined by Sam Amick of SportsIllustrated.com and NBAConfidential.com. Let's talk about the amnesty provision. It's going to be included in the new CBA, but it's different than last time around. Last time around, short window of opportunity to use it. This time around, you can use it once a season before the season. It's got to be for a player who's currently under contract now. Then there's like this blind bidding uh, scenario that takes place for teams, so you can't have the Lakers and the Heat cherry picking the guys that are amnestied. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, the waiver wire process I think is a, a phenomenal, you know, kind of eleventh hour addition to that system. It's, it's going to be teams under the cap. Um, you know, once a player amnesties or a team amnesties a player, then uh, the teams under the cap can essentially have a bidding war for that player, and uh, and whoever wins the bidding war. Not only gets the player, but then you know they pay whatever they bid for the guy, and then the the previous team you know pays the remainder of that balance because uh, the player is going to wind up getting paid you know his entire contract. So I, it it basically does not allow for what 
you know, people who didn't want to see the, the rich getting richer feared, which is, to, you know, to pick one guy, Baron Davis, say he gets amnestied by Cleveland, everybody assumes that he would then, you know, run to Miami or run to some other title contender and then jump, you know, jump on board with them. So this should get around that uh, concept. And, and like you said, too, the fact that teams can use it, you know, for the life of the CBA is huge. I mean, in fact, this morning I did another radio hit with uh, some guys in New York, and they were making the point that the Knicks, you know, for example, don't have a lot of contracts right now that you would really want to amnesty. But, you know, that's not a bad uh, a bad option to have when you got Amari Stoudemire. I mean, what if his knee blows out? You know what I mean? The next thing you know, you got that huge deal and the guy's not playing. Um, so it'll give teams uh, freedom in that respect. Well, if you look at a team like Orlando, I'd use it this year on Gilbert Arenas, and I'd use it next year on Hito Turkoglu. And here in Portland, everyone wants to know, do you think the Blazers will use the amnesty provision on Brandon Roy, who's owed $15 million this season and $63 million over the next few seasons? What do you think? Yeah, I really think he's probably the the most likely candidate. Um, You know, on the one hand, I know that you could argue that amnestying Brandon doesn't get them under the cap, so it's kind of you know the question of what's the benefit of doing it, uh, other than you know not paying the tax. You know you will save a lot of money in tax by doing the amnesty, and then also it. Uh, and I have to crunch the numbers, but I think it'll it'll make it easier uh, to deal with a situation like Greg Oden and what you might you know the the idea of bringing him back. Um, so you know and that that whole storyline just saddens me. I like Brandon a lot. I think he's he's everything that's good about sports and the way he approaches the game and and it's terrible, you know, what's happened to his knee, but but if I had to predict, yeah, I think they'll probably use not him. If they do use the amnesty on him, who do you think some teams around the league are that would be interested in Brandon Roy and that fit into that uh process that they have some room to sign him? Well, one and I'm just, you know, I'm piggybacking on someone else's reporting. I think Mark Stein yesterday Ovechkin had said that uh, he kind of speculating that Minnesota would be in the running for him, and I could see that. You know, Rick Adelman obviously is with the the T Wolves now, and you know the thinking being that for one they have cap room, and so they would be you know part of that waiver wire process, and uh, you know, and if they can get, I mean, listen, Brandon Roy at a reasonable number is still going to be a helpful player and a guy that I mean, I just don't think you can have a better locker room guy um, as far as having a veteran presence. So Minnesota would be one possible team, uh, you know, to the Lakers. I mean, again, that, you know, does he slip through the waiver process to the, the you know, the, the cap team or the tax teams like the Lakers? I don't know. Um, we'll see. I mean, listen, the guy will be in the league. It'll just be at a, at a more reasonable number. One minute left. Who is best positioned at this point right now to win the championship in a 66-game season in the NBA? Uh, probably Miami because they uh, have the ability to add a significant free agent like a Nene or a uh, Tyson Chandler or a, or a Sam Dallenberger is probably the more likely option. If they can get a big down low combined with the progress of being together for a year and chemistry and those things, uh, I think Dallas is going to have a hard time keeping its core together. So I'd say Miami. All right, that's Sam Amick. That's all the time we have with him. Always appreciate our conversation, Sam. Follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick, A-M-I-C-K. Find him online at sportsillustrated.com or nbaconfidential.com. Sam, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, Brian. We'll talk to you soon.
Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. He sings a love song as we go along, walking in the winter wonderland. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. None other than Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott. Good morning, Commissioner. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good to be with you. Yeah, exciting day. Inaugural Pac-12 championship game. We'll get to that in a minute. But what a fantastic year for the Pac-12. Looking back on the past year, what are some of the accomplishments you're most proud of? Oh, my gosh. It's a, it's a nice-looking highlight reel from my perspective. Uh, obviously, first year as a 12-team conference, it's um, been exciting. Um, you know, uh, off the field, off the courts, certainly historic in terms of the TV deals that we were able to create uh, with ESPN and Fox on the one hand, and then able to announce the creation of our TV networks and uh, get guaranteed distribution over 40 million homes when we launch next August uh, through the cable arrangements with Time Warner, Comcast, Cox, and Bright House, which we're thrilled with. And then, of course, you know, if I move uh, onto the field and the courts, this year's uh, football season certainly at the top has been extraordinary. Again, we've got three top ten teams as we finish the year, and it looks like for the second year in a row and only uh, you know, the second time for the last decade, we're uh, likely to get two BCS uh, Bowl teams winner of tonight's game between Oregon and UCLA going to the Rose Bowl. And Stanford is in a great position coming into the final weekend to get a BCS Bowl berth as well. So, uh, you know, have to say things are looking up for the conference. We know the Pac-12 TV deal is generating more revenue for the schools. It looks as though that money is really helping attract some big-name coaches to the conference, Rich Rodriguez and Mike Leach most recently. How do those big names help boost the credibility and the exposure for the Pac-12? Well, look, you know, the quality of Pac-12 football has always been uh, excellent, and obviously there are some uh, great benefits the conference has always enjoyed, being on the West Coast and having access to an incredible uh, recruiting base. Um, And we've always been known for very good coaches. What you're starting to see, I think, um, with the new uh, big TV agreements that are going to kick in next year is schools able to you know, do some long-range planning, and there'll be high priorities to make sure athletic departments are self-sufficient financially, um, you know, to look at uh, repaying whatever debts there are to the universities. But schools beyond that are starting to look at investment in facilities, uh, increased services for student-athletes, and, um, you know, making sure uh, 
uh, can get the best coaches available. In the past, our conference has not been able to be competitive top to bottom on coaching salaries. We have lagged well behind the SEC, Big 12, and some other conferences. Uh, and there's a tremendous ambition in this conference, um, you know, from, uh, from all schools to compete at the highest level. And a feeling that with this new Pac-12 conference, every game is going to be on TV. Um, you know, schools want to compete aggressively and, you know, get the best coaching staffs on board. So you're starting to see some investment being made at higher levels to retain the best coaches they can get. From my perspective, that's just raises the bar of the competition. I measure a successful league not just by how we're doing at the top and having two BCS Bowl teams, national championship contenders, uh, top 10, et cetera. But I think the measure of any strong league is strength top to bottom as well. So for me, you know, the bigger picture is I think what we're, the changes we're starting to see are going to mean a higher level of competition and caliber throughout the conference. We're joined by Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott. Let's stick on the topic of facilities. When you meet with the conference's athletic directors, do you strongly suggest to those that don't have modern facilities to try and bring those up to modern-day standards uh, with the money that's going to be coming in from the TV network? Oh, I don't have to suggest. They're well aware. Uh, (laughs) And we've got more and more ADs, keep in mind, are coming to this conference from other conferences. Uh, you think about uh, you know, Greg Byrne at Arizona coming from the SEC, Rob Mullins at Oregon uh, coming from the SEC, Bob Bowlesby at Stanford you know, came from the Big Ten. Um, so there is a uh, cross-pollination from other conferences. Everyone's well aware of um, the benchmark uh, that we need to hit. But there's no question you know, Pac-12 is an elite football conference you know, at the very top. And in order to stay competitive long-term, we can't just rest on our laurels of having this great recruiting base out west and a lot of talent to pull from. And all that's got to be competitive with the best coaches and the best facilities. Well, you're an innovative guy, and I look at what the conference could look like from a football standpoint now with Chip Kelly, Rich Rodriguez, and Mike Leach. Those are going to be some exciting, high-scoring affairs when those teams get together, and all three very innovative coaches. Yeah, I love it. And I think that's really kind of core to our brand. That's, you know, Pac-12 DNA is, you know, creativity. You think back to the West Coast offense and Bill Walsh, I think this conference historically has been known for innovation, been known for having elite quarterbacks that go on and other specialty positions that go on to the NFL. So, you know, uh, to, to me, it's a great fit to get some of these coaches in the conference that are known for innovation in, in their own right and have high-octane offenses, I think uh, it's just going to make the conference that much more exciting. Let's talk about the Pac-12 championship game tonight, the inaugural edition. Obviously, a little less than ideal to match up. UCLA backing into the championship game after a 50 to nothing loss to USC last weekend and a lame duck coach. Is there a way this type of scenario can be avoided in the future, or is this an anomaly? Well, we, our schools cannot get on probation. That's one way. Right. Uh, you know, this matchup, as you say, would be Oregon-USC, two top ten teams. Uh, absolute blockbuster had USC not been banned from postseason play by the NCAA. So it's an anomaly. Um, you know, this decision about how we structure the championship game is absolutely a long-term decision tied to our new 12-year TV deals. Got an unbelievable window for the game tonight. East Coast prime time, 8 p.m. on the East Coast, 5 p.m., 
West Coast, Fox Broadcast Network, Gus Jones and Charles Davis. I mean, it is really an amazing platform for the conference. Um, it's very unfortunate that USC can't participate, um, but, you know, uh, we obviously abide by the NCAA rules and, and their sanctions, so... Uh, but the you know, long term, I'm kind of thrilled with what this championship game is going to represent, even if this year you know, we're winding up with the second team in that South Division. 5 p.m. on the West Coast on a Friday night. Is that the ideal time? Would you rather have this game on a weekend and at a time where people maybe aren't driving home in California and Oregon and places like that? Oh, I, I like to think this is a big enough game where it's a point in television. People will plan around it. But a lot of thought went into this time slot. It's part of my overall strategy to figure out how we overcome some of the time zone challenges we have. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to overstate this, but to some extent an East Coast bias about what's going on out here. And this is an amazing window for us nationally. Again, 8 p.m. East Coast prime time is the best window you could be in. And we're the only show. In town, so I think we're going to get you know a great platform. On any given Saturday, there's a bunch of games, as you know, and we felt this is a way to cut through some of that clutter and avoid some of the competition with some of the uh, other championship games, regular season games going on tomorrow, and really make this special and, and different. So this is part of you know uh, many steps that we've taken to reposition the conference as nationally prominent and get the programs the attention they deserve. Will the game continue to be played uh, at the home field of the team with the best conference, or have you had any discussions about maybe taking this to a neutral field at some point? We examined it thoroughly last year before making the decision and had a lot of compelling offers for neutral site. You know, you think about our conference and some of the great NFL stadia that exist, and many were interested. Uh, but we decided this is the best model for us. Uh, I like the idea of the team that earns it by having the best record overall, getting to essentially you know, earn another home game, earn another event for their fans that don't have to travel, for their community and all the economic development that goes into it uh, and all that. And it assures us a sellout and a you know, raucous collegiate atmosphere, especially in a year like this one where you know, we have the unfortunate circumstance of USC not being able to participate uh, you know, I, I, I'd be more worried if this were a neutral side game and fan bases had to travel uh, for this game. But when you turn on the TV tonight watch this game, you're going to see a full house at Austin Stadium, an amazing atmosphere, and that travels well and communicates well on TV, which is what I was looking for. So I'm thrilled with the decision that we've taken, um, and I, I plan on keeping it this way for the foreseeable future. doesn't mean we won't constantly reevaluate. Um, but for, for right now, I really like where we are with the structure of this game. We're joined by Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, just a few minutes left. Commissioner Scott, explain the relationship now that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have with the Rose Bowl now that you've got these two championship games in place tonight. Pac-12, tomorrow night, Big Ten. If UCLA were to win this game, does the Pac-12 have to take... The, or does the BCS and the Rose Bowl have to take UCLA? Or like last year when TCU was in the game, explain how that all works. I think there's a lot of confused fans. Yeah, well, I can understand the confusion last year with TCU going to the Rose Bowl instead of Stanford. Uh, and that had to do with you know a quirky aspect 
of the BCS agreement, whereby in uh, uh, you know when the Pac-12 gives up its champion to the national championship game, uh, rather than being backfilled by the number two team in our conference, it would be backfilled by a non-AQ team at least once in a four-year cycle. So that happened last year. So that wouldn't likely happen again. So I can understand why people are confused, because it is confusing. <laughs> this year, a normal year, uh, very straightforward. The Pac-12 champions go to the Rose Bowl, unless they are one or two in the country and they go to the national championship game, um, in which case it likely would be the number two team in the conference. So tonight's game, the winner, UCLA or Oregon, is going to Rose Bowl. It's winner take all, and that's one of the things I think is so compelling about a championship game for our conference. Obviously, you have to earn your way into the game uh, by you know being the champion of your respective division, but then you got a chance to play for it. For, for all those playoff proponents I've, I, I keep hearing from, they ought to love this. You, know, you get to kind of earn it uh, on the field, one game, um, and I think uh, uh, it's exciting, and the Big Ten has moved to the same structure. So it's basically the winner of the Pac-12 championship game, the winner of the Big Ten championship game, get the face off in the Rose Bowl. I think it helps kind of you know elevate the importance of the Rose Bowl. So with Stanford high in the BCS rankings, it's looking very good for the Pac-12 to send two schools to the BCS. That's got to be a, a great lucrative thing for the conference. It is. I mean, it's been a great year for the conference. Uh, last year we had Oregon National Championship game, Stanford in the Orange Bowl. Great exposure, great prestige for the conference. Extra revenue does flow to the schools as a result of getting that second team in. And I see that likely happening again uh, this year with the winner of tonight's game being in the Rose Bowl and uh, Stanford uh, you know, winding up in, in a BCS game um, as well, which would be terrific, I mean, especially with uh, Andrew Luck as the proposed number one draft choice, uh, frontrunner Heisman. Uh, it's such a compelling story. Uh, and Stanford is such a compelling story, and they've really earned it. So, you know, the conference uh, is in great shape at the top especially. Um, and I think we're going to finish the year strong with great representation in these BCS polls. Do you believe the BCS at the end of its contract, uh, 2014, do you think it'll end the alliance with the Bulls? There's been a lot of talk about that. It would be way too premature to say we haven't had any formal discussions as commissioners of the different conferences about it. Those conversations will start happening this this spring. So, uh, and this is my first go-round with it. When I started in this role a little over two years ago, uh, the agreement had been struck already for this four-year cycle. So I wouldn't predict uh, right now. I know there's a, a lot that is appreciated about the uh, current system and the bowls. Uh, I can speak for the Pac-12. I mean, we really value the Rose Bowl relationship over a hundred-year tradition uh, from the first time that the Stanford played against Michigan um, you know, around 1900. And so uh, we see the Rose Bowl as part of the brand of, of the conference. So, um, uh, you know, I don't think you'll see our conference, you know, taking steps that uh, dismisses the history and that brand affiliation. Uh, by the same token, there are obviously, you know, flaws uh, in the current system. And I can speak again. I won't speak for the BCS. I'll speak for our conference like I've done with everything about the conference. We'll look at it with a fresh set of eyes and figure out what's best going going forward and then you know kind of have to discuss and negotiate with the other conferences from there it has to be a collective decision but um, uh, there's a lot that's great about college football 
uh, right now. I think it's never been more successful. Um, you know, we've never, Pac-12 football has never been more popular. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot of evidence in the types of TV deals we just struck that the marketplace really values regular season college football right now in the Pac-12. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that's great about what we have, but it could always be improved, that's for sure. Before I let you go, you did some real generous things in Eugene Valley this week at the Boys and Girls Club. You helped them establish a technology center. Talk about how you're going to be doing that every year with the Pac-12 championship game, kind of a legacy leave behind. Yeah, well, you know, part of the idea behind the football championship game going to the home side of the team with a best record is it's a reward not just for the team but for the fan base and for the community. Um for you know their team winning, so we decided to take that a step further and um, you know give back something to the community on a permanent basis. So every year, uh, for the community that is hosting this championship game, we're going to make an investment, uh, working with the schools on a community service project and some type of lasting benefits for the community. So what we did in Eugene was we funded a new technology and reading center at the local Boys and Girls Club, which had been shut down for seven months because of the economic difficulties up here. Uh, and working with the students at Oregon, over 30 were out there helping uh, paint and put it together and install the technology. I think that, that was a great co- collaborative effort. And I think it's one of those things that will just really uh, help reinforce the benefits that college football brings to the communities we play. And I was thrilled that we could do it this year, and I made a commitment that every year around this football championship game we'll make another investment with the university that's hosting to leave a lasting legacy, you know, ideally for kids. Fantastic work by you in the conference. You've done an amazing job, Commissioner Scott, in the last uh, few years. Best of luck with tonight's inaugural Pac-12 championship game, and thanks for making the time to join me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always good to be with you. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. Stop staring at your face. I should be playing in the winter snow. But I'm going to be under the mistletoe. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We're back, and I'm on the board of Ronald McDonald House Charities. They are a home away from home for seriously and terminally ill children's families. And we're doing a really cool auction this upcoming week, December 5th to 9th. You can find out all the details at sportsbusinessradio.com. But I'm telling you, you got to check this out. I've got one-of-a-kind pair of Air Jordan sneakers 
25th anniversary Air Jordan from Michael Jordan's personal collection. His size, they're autographed by Michael Jordan and by the vice president of design for Nike, Tinker Hatfield, who has worked with Michael Jordan on every one of the Air Jordans to design them. Griggs, really cool. If people go online to sportsbusinessradio.com, you'll see the link to bid on these shoes. But if you're a sneakerhead, if you're a sports collector, you won't find another pair of shoes like this. It's the only pair that's ever been from his collection that's been signed by Michael Jordan and by Tinker Hatfield, the designer from Nike who designs all the Air Jordans. Yeah, let me tell you, these are awesome, awesome shoes. They look great. They're going to be awesome on your office shelf in the nice case because, uh, yeah, they're great and, and a great charity, too. It is. All the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds from the sale of these shoes will benefit Ronald McDonald House Charity. So it's a great cause. I urge you, go online to sportsbusinessradio.com. You'll see the link between December 5th and 9th where you can go online and bid on this one-of-a-kind pair of Air Jordan 25s. Signed by Michael Jordan, signed by Tinker Hatfield. There's even a video that Tinker Hatfield did for us with the shoes explaining how this all came together and how he and Michael Jordan were inspired to donate these shoes to Ronald McDonald House Charities. So go do that today. All right, Griggs, great show this week. Thanks for all your help with everything. Thanks to Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. Thanks to our guests, Sam Amick and Larry Scott from the Pac-12. Podcast reminder, you can podcast our show every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. We're on iTunes. Type in Sports Business Radio. You'll see us come up. We're doing our top 20 sports business stories of the year, the last two shows of the year. So if you have top 20 stories you want us to consider... Send those to me, Brian, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Happy holidays. Enjoy your week. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet. Ho, ho, the mistletoe hung where you can see. Somebody waits for you. Kiss her. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.